Hello and welcome to episode 8 of The App Pod. This week I'm joined by Kieran O'Kane, CEO of Wirecorp, founder of First Party Capital and all-round ad tech legend. Kieran has done a ton for ad tech in his career and I'm sure many of you read his publication Exchange Wire where Kieran regularly contributes with his own views which I always find interesting. Today, we're going to be talking about ad tech, a topic which myself and Kieran have spent the majority of our careers thinking about. And in today's episode, we talk about the financing and future of ad tech, interesting offerings, and also some thoughts on Google, which we couldn't really avoid. So all that leaves me to say is that I hope you enjoy episode eight of The App Pod. Hey, Kieran. Welcome to the AdPod. How are things? Hello, Wayne. Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. Uh, you know, I'm in Belfast at the minute, which is very interesting. Uh, on the way back to my uh, hometown to see my family, which I haven't seen since uh, October, which is bizarre. Um, yeah, but everything's good. Can't complain. Good, good. And uh, for those who don't know you, would you mind giving like a just a quick intro into kind of your career and what you do now? Yeah, um, so uh, for people who don't know me, um, I'm the CEO of Wirecorp, and Wirecorp is a holding group for for probably a publication that everybody knows, which is uh, Exchange Wire. Um, we've been, Exchange Wire have been, been going since 2008 uh, and effectively covers sort of uh, ad tech, martech, and the programmatic marketing advertising ecosystem. Uh, Exchange Wire sort of has a daily publication. We publish uh, news and insight and we do whiteboard sessions and we do all sorts of content around our industry. Um, we also do a bunch of events, um, which, which people will know by the sort of uh, the, the brand name ATS, so we do ATS London. Uh, we do events in Singapore, Tokyo, elsewhere in Europe, like Berlin and Paris. Um, I myself sort of uh, I'm part of a bigger team now. Uh, Rachel, my par- business partner, she she runs uh, the operations, and we have a great team of people working on the business. Um, my what well, I'm sort of an advisor to companies uh, with uh, um, sort of like helping them sort of scale their businesses um off the back of that uh we did we started this sort of a, a funding uh um in sort of funding vehicle called the first party capital which started uh 12 months ago it came off the back of a post about funding for companies outside the us so obviously in the us there's plenty of cash flowing around as you know when uh to help uh, grow and scale businesses and we we thought there was a gap in the market for European APAC and rest of the world uh, companies. And obviously with the changes going on in the ecosystem right now, we feel there's a massive opportunity for for these uh, non-US companies to do very, very well in the next decade. So so now I'm kind of like a, 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 you know, a blogger slash advisor come uh, 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 investor slash VC person. Nice. Keeps you busy. (laughs) no balls in the air juggling around yeah um cool and uh yeah as i said to you before it's nice to be the other side of an interview with you because i've done some stuff at the exchange wire before and the content's always high quality so hopefully today we're kind of be somewhat matching off that um i guess to start 
because I was thinking about like, you know, ad tech in general is today's topic. And I still think people have early days ad tech. They still think about like some of what happened in like, the, the sort of early 2010 time. Um, and specifically when it comes to like ad tech and financing, I mean, I'm in a WhatsApp group and Rocket Fuel got mentioned the other day and like how bad it was. It IPO'd at like $2 billion and then it sold for like spare change. And at that time you had a lot of naysayers were jumping on that grave, happy ad tech, ad tech's going to die. It's not a sustainable industry. It definitely isn't a place anyone should invest any money. Whereas this year in particular, um, M&A and investment in general has just gone through the roof. So I guess, one, what are your thoughts on what happened to Rocket Fuel and how that's shaped from then to now? And two, why is this time any different? Um, I, I, I guess that I guess that the, the problem with Rocket Fuel at the time it was sort of an outlier. Um, its business um, was very much based around managed service and IOs. Uh, so in, in, it was it was an ad network. Um, the underlying tech, there's lots of rumors around whether you know a Russian called Boris had built it or someone else had built it, but they obviously built their own tech. But it fundamentally was an ad network business, and it was certainly hyped at the time. Um, and like ad tech has had a has had a fairly patchy history in the public markets. A lot of ad tech that went public previously was pretty poor. Um, you know, um, you know, I, I think that its demise was inevitable. Um, it, it was it was sort of a pump and dump thing. I remember the the CEO, the guy with two first names, John George or George John, or whatever the feck his name was, I can't remember. He was on mad money saying they were going to compete with Google, which is a load of nonsense. Um, you know, I mean, that was such a massive um, red flag for me initially. Anyway, I, I couldn't believe what he was saying. And people in ad tech were going, this is a load of nonsense because they knew the story. That the margins were insane. They were taking, um, really, they should have been bought by private equity with probably the better outcome. Um but I think things have changed. Things changed when the trade desk went public. Trade desk for me was sort of like the day that it all changed. And it, it, it went public uh, as a real tech business, right? Uh, it was mostly their, 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 their revenue was re- recurring rather than occurring, which is probably what uh, the majority of um, uh, our friends who, who whose demise you know, in the stock market 12 or 24 months previously, um, their revenue was very much seasonally based, occurring, and it was all about like how many people, how many feet you have in the ground doing doing the sort of calls to agencies and getting IO money. Whereas the trade desk was very much a a sort of stickier business. And I think when they went public and had sustained uh quarterly numbers, healthy quarterly numbers, they um you know they, I think the market's attitude changed towards, but not the public market saw this ad tech thing as, as some, something that could be, could be quite uh, successful in the public markets. And then obviously Jeff spun a great story around CTV and, and the tech piece. And obviously the, the, the trade desk went to 24 billion. And since then you've got a bunch of companies that have gone public like Rubicon and uh, you know, a few others like that 
that had a fairly patchy start. But again, there is money in digital advertising. There is money to 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 be to be, to be made in terms of like executing media, which like you know, digital media is worth nearly you know hundreds of billions of, of, of dollars, pounds, and euros. So there's room for these companies to exist. And obviously they can't exist forever in private markets. So the 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 natural sort of progression is the public markets. Now is there a case uh, here to be said that, that that these companies are overvalued? Possibly. You know, there's lots of billion-dollar businesses. Um, but there's a lot of companies who are, lit, who are public companies that are technology, and they're not even making any money, not even profitable. And a lot of ad tech is profitable. Um, and there is still a lot of digitization happening across this sort of media ecosystem and uh, digital marketing ecosystem. And while Google and Facebook have our, our sort of like, you know, massive, uh, you know, wall gardens eating up quite a lot of revenue, there's still huge amounts of money sloshing around. Uh, and you know that, Wayne, from your own business, like Google and Facebook are a massive part of our ecosystem, but not necessarily the, everything. They're not, they're not, they don't have total control. So I think like, I think that, that the early starts of ad tech in the public markets were pretty awful. Um, I think there was an element of 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 nonsense and bullshit, but it's the story has progressed into something a bit more, a bit more solid. Yeah, that makes sense. And I definitely agree on the. Sometimes people get a little bit obsessed by the size of Facebook and Google and how much they take um, in terms of revenue, just to revenue. But there's so much opportunity outside of that, and. That kind of leads me into, you know, first-party capital or something you launched, I think, earlier this year. And it'd be good to talk about, you know, what first-party capital is and why you're doing it now. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it seems like a quite the pivot for for me. Um, but um, I've always been interested in, in uh, you know, businesses, startup businesses and how, how they scale. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I always noticed was that there was a paucity of capital for companies outside the US. And don't get me wrong, the US is an absolute mega market. Like it's the biggest advertising market in the world. I mean, you can have a, an ad network making a hundred million in, in, in the armpit of uh, Montana and, and nobody would know about it in the UK or Europe, but it's still there. Um, but but there is there is definitely, there's a couple of reasons why, why we set it up, right? Initially, I started off as a post uh, talking about how you know there's there's definitely room for focused vertical uh, funds globally to kind of like walk in this space right outside the US and from that I had conversations with uh, both uh, um, uh, Kevin Flood and Rich Ashton who um, are both um, involved in the uh, in in the fund itself. Which is the um, the manager partner and Kevin's one of the general partners and Kevin Flood. If anybody knows, he he's the CEO of Paralinks. Has worked in building sort of product ad tech product for many. And Rich has worked in the sort of financing area. Worked fast pay, and both both get, came to me and said, "Look, this is this could be quite an interesting uh, opportunity. Why don't we try and flesh it out and, and make it real?" Um, and when we started to think about the concept. We thought about a few things, right? One thing that non-US companies, particularly in ad tech and martech, are, are very poor at is positioning, right, and marketing. 
and they don't shout enough about their product. So a lot of the best ad tech for me right now is being built outside the US, right? The best companies have been built outside that. They're not just, but they're not obvious to a lot of people because in the US, you you raise 20, 30 million dollars, you burn through it, you give it to ad exchanger, you give it to Digiday, you give it to ad week, you give it to ad age, and they can basically just you know market the crap out of it. And in in many instances, they have a really poor product. Um, you know, it's not, and it's ill-defined and, and it's just, you know, another sort of me too type, uh, um, uh, uh, category business. Um, and, and we, we think that there's real value in focus and in category winners that are addressing real problems in ad tech and, and MarTech. And, and that's sort of the, the thesis of the fund. One, one of the other thesis is that we think that there's a big, uh, change coming to our industry, as everybody knows, the, the deprecation of third-party cookies and third-party IDs is going to open up a whole sort of white space for innovation, right? Um, we think that there's going to be companies that are coming, they're going to address real problem, real, real uh, issues like measurement and targeting, but also addressing new sort of channels that are being sort of like ignored by sort of the, the sort of the, the legacy ad tech. And there is a lot of legacy ad tech, but at the same time, that a lot of that legacy ad tech has gone public and they're going to have to buy companies. So there's this whole sort of these these, these different sort of uh, uh, cyclical pieces going on and also structural cha- changes to the M&A layer. So what I, what I mean by that is that, and, and I think that um, Terry Kowaja sort of uh, alluded to this in many posts. I mean, he's an M&A banker, obviously. He is going to bang his own drum. But... Um, he talked about the amount of publicly listed ad tech companies that will need to buy other companies to stay relevant, which I thought in, in itself is a, is a massive opportunity. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there is a value arbitrage as well in terms of companies built in APAC, built in the, in the EU, built in South America versus the US, their US counterparts, because, uh, you know, the, the cost in the two companies is very different cost basis, etc. So you know, if you had a choice between one or two companies or similar companies in Europe and in and in, in the US, the one in Europe could have better technology uh, and be like a hundred million cheaper. So there's a bunch of stuff that we were were kicking around, and I think this formed the sort of uh, the, the the idea behind first party capital. Now, the history of the fund so far, well, it wasn't even a fund, but when we started, it was effectively a syndicate. And the idea was anybody can join our syndicate and we bring deals after doing due diligence on those deals. So we put the technical and financial and product due diligence, which is pretty, pretty strict. We put the whole, whole uh, process from scratch. We would bring those deals to our syndicate of which there's 350 senior people from across the industry globally. And they would basically invest in the, in the, in the companies one at a time. Um, but we got quite a lot of feedback from, um, you know, people within the syndicate say, look, Kieran, like, we, we don't have time to review these, um, these deals. Can we just put a hundred grand, 50 grand, 10 grand into, into the fund, into a fund to invest across all these companies? So that's where we sort of started to spin up a fund, which, you know, we, we, we started the process in May, um, or, or actually June. And now we're sort of at our first close of about 3 million coming up this week. Uh, and we've talked to strategics and we're talking to sort of bigger funds and 
high net worths and we're looking to raise about $15 million in total. And that would be our fun one. And then I guess that's the exciting part because it's not just a, a it's a collective of people involved in terms of the, the LPs, right? We were very, we're very conscious that we want a lot of the industry to invest in. So our, our, our sort of investment threshold is pretty low for the LPs to get in because we want that network to help us grow those businesses. So, you know, we, we will have, we tend to lend, lead the deal, lead the deals and, and valuations of these companies. And we tend to get a board seat uh, out of that as part of that um, lead investment role. And myself, Kevin and Rich are not interested in sitting in boards because we're too busy running the fund and actually, you know, helping these companies get to where they need to get to. So we want to sort of use our network uh, of investors and syndicate members to sit on these boards and obviously be board of advisors as well. And also look at senior roles. So, you know, a lot of these people are obviously, you know, still, uh, still heavily involved in building their careers and they might want a job as a COO or, or even a CEO or a CTO or product person within these companies, because these companies are really exciting. They're, you know, they're, they're high growth. They're, they're, they're really addressing a specific problem in, in the space and we're very careful that you know that we're picking winners here, not like another bloody in-game advertising network. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you, like you you get you get to meet a ton of companies every day, um, kind of all year round. Like, what what are you looking for? Like, what what is interesting to you when you first one minute when you meet a company? What what well, is the exciting bit? I think I think that. I think that we we're very careful not to invest in in things that that will not have longevity, right? So what I mean by that is like I wouldn't invest in any ID companies or ID graphs or or sort of like cookie based solutions, and we tend to stay away from like media businesses as well. Where where, where I see ad tech and where we see ad tech going is is more like technology that in that enables the the principles right so what i mean by that is the principles either a buyer or seller right and what we had typically what we have now is we have a very bloated middle which takes a big chunk of our uh, of the revenue in terms of the money that passes through the pipes i don't think that's sustainable and i think that uh you know what we're heading towards is more tech enablement right is the, the ability for people to use technology to enhance their businesses so actually, a lot of the investments we've made so far are sort of SaaS-based businesses um, and businesses that are sort of like made for the next decade. So stuff like, you know, data governance, uh, creative ad tech, you know, infrastructure, um, uh, you know, this these types of business. And we're not just investing in, in ad tech. We're also investing in, in businesses that have access to first-party data, logged in data. So we've invested in a bunch of digital media businesses that have you know, stickier sort of audiences that, but they're able to leverage the first party data piece and have like audiences that people want to buy. And I think those like that wall garden thing is quite interesting, but we're not necessarily looking at as part of the whole fund as part of one of the areas that we're, we're focused on. So I guess the things we're looking for is, you know, is longevity, not dependent, can live or can live with, the wall gardens, not be obliterated or I have to take them on, right? It's just that 
they're in the room. You acknowledge them, right? I can walk with them or I can walk around them. I'm not bothered by their existence. That's a business that we want to invest in. I don't want to invest in somebody's going to butt in the heads of Google all the time and just basically getting bloodied up by an an algorithm change or or you know a whim of a, a product engineer on the privacy side of a browser. We're not interested in that, right? Those companies are going to struggle. They, you know, they'll be fighting continuously trying to hack the privacy piece. And we're just not interested in that. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess you must, I always think when I speak to ad tech companies, you sort of, I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, me and a bit inadvertent, but you're like, oh, could Google do this? Because they, because they're so big. You're like, well, or why aren't Google doing this? And then, well, is that an opportunity for that ad tech company? Because it's differentiated and they could maybe sell in future to Google or, or is it a, is it a threat? I, I think that I think that uh, could Google do that? Google could do anything. You know, they could always get a thousand engineers to build it. Will they build it? Because, well, I don't know. Is it a billion dollar business? Is it is it a ten billion dollar business? I don't think I'm particularly worried about. I don't think you need to particularly worry about whether Google will build it. I said, can Google affect your business? Like, do you depend on the browser? Do you depend on a cookie? Do you depend on Flock for your future? If, if, if that's the case, then I'm not interested in it. <laughs> We're not interested. It's just like, I, I, that dependence on those wall gardens is, is not a good thing. As I said, if you can live with them and you can live around them, then that's more interesting. And as you said before, it's like in display, I think that Google and Facebook have literally just overran most of the industry. But there are huge new areas, swathes of, of, of the media and, and digital marketing ecosystem that those, those two companies don't really touch. Like commerce media, for instance, Google has got a fairly weak commerce media business, as does Facebook. Um, both companies are kind of dipping their toe with the CTV, but that's not TV. Like that's just based. I mean, you could argue that Google have YouTube, which is fair enough. Like, but, but you know, they're 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 at a home and like the, the, the burgeoning sort of VR AR space, like so the metaverse and there's a bunch of stuff that they don't touch like you know so so you know the opportunities are huge and when i we, we could go into the detail around the likes of what the the you know the web 3.0 which is the you know based around the blockchain i mean that's that, that hasn't even touched the sides yet and we you know that's a whole different area and neither company have a play around that either and then there's 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 going to be you look at the success of of the likes of snap pinterest so the world of the world around us is becoming more and more fragmented, right? Don't get me wrong, Google and Facebook are still big footprints, but the fragmentation makes our world, ad tech and martech, you know, more interesting because more companies are going to pop up and try and you know stitch all those pieces together. So it's going to be a whole new wave of pri- privacy first companies around measurement and targeting, and that's where I see sort of the innovation coming, which is which is interesting. Like always, have to be knowledgeable, or always have to acknowledge the fact that those wall gardens exist, and you know, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Google are always going to be there. But it's not the only game in town. Yeah, and it's. I think whenever you know you meet ad tech founders, and we you know they're always talking about the opportunity, and some people are like, well, Google and Facebook have won. But they have, they haven't, they absolutely haven't. There is so much opportunity around, as you say, a, a fragmented market. How can tech help solve for that? 
digital marketing, I mean, it's only growing, continues to grow. It's going to stay strong for like, you know, decades. So I'll give you an example, right? So one of the companies that we've invested in, Carpio, which is quite interesting, they're, they've basically taken, they're looking at Europe, right? And the commerce media. Uh, space in the US, you have Amazon, Walmart, and a big, big, uh, you know, you know, walled garden e-commerce platforms. There's like three or four go-to's, and then there's a bunch of others like Etsy and all the rest of it. In Europe, it's a complete another shit show, right? It's a fragmented mess. You have Evora, who are a publicly listed company. Poland and Eastern Europe, you've got Zalando in, in Germany, you've got a bunch of marketplaces in Scandinavia and Southern Europe, right? From a marketer's point of view, it's a bloody nightmare, right? So Carpio are literally building an analytics layer that pulls in all of these platforms for one view for, 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 uh, for marketers so that they can run their campaigns across Eastern Europe and Zalando and, and Germany and all the rest of it. And it's a very simple approach, right? And this is what we love about this, right? The same stuff is happening elsewhere in the world, right? So you're going to have all these local champions building these technology layers that will help. And while there is a lot of focus on the US, that, you know, trying to build that solution in Europe requires a whole different company, a whole different mindset that, the US doesn't have, right? They've got a bigger opportunity. But the European e-commerce market is just as big collectively as the US. Might be a lot more difficult, but that's the reason why we like it. And I guess we invest in the companies that are addressing the difficult problems. And that's what I mean by like opportunity. Like that is just, you know, Amazon are, are in the UK are very dominant and they've got a footprint in Germany, but they're nowhere else. In, like they're nowhere near the type of grip hold uh, they have in the US in the rest of Europe or, or even in Asia for that matter. So that's what excites me about this. There's going to be loads of different players that are going to require like custom localized solutions that are going to be quite big businesses. And that's the type of business we want to invest in as well. Yeah, I entirely agree. And there's some of these ad tech companies are at different sort of um, stages on their sort of life cycle, I guess. And when they're going through those stages, there's, different models of financing to allow them to grow and, and invest. And I think some people listen to this will see some of these terms thrown around in press releases, but might not be familiar. So I'd like to just sort of pick your brains on for founders who are in early stages, like the different models you can go down and sort of the, the pros and cons. So I guess the first one would be private equity. Um, would you mind explaining like what the pros and cons are of that for, for early stage ad tech? Uh, so private equity is interesting in ad tech. Um, I mean, they've taken a real liking to it. Like, so I guess, I guess sort of like private equity looks at, you know, to put in, in, in sort of crude terms, looking to rinse the acid, you know, for, for revenue. Right. So the idea is like, we want to get a 30% return on this and then basically pass it off to the next private equity company. They tend to like ad networks because ad networks throw off a lot of cash uh, and they, they, they basically rent it. We know, we know a few um, of our friends who've sold the private equity companies uh, from, from, uh, from ad, uh, ad networks. They know who they are. Um, but, but um, you know, they, 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 they tend to buy assets. I mean, and, and it's interesting that a lot of the, you know, private equity, a lot of those companies have gone public recently have been bought by private equity. So, you know, they, they take assets and they clean it up, right? So they, they, you know, cost reductions around staff or tech or they consolidate quite a lot of the, 
you know, the, the processes, clean it up, make more money and then spin it off. And then I think the, the public markets have made it easy for them to kind of like to basically sell the assets uh, on the public markets effectively. So, I, I mean, it, it's more case, it's not for really for early stages, more case about, um, you know, companies that are fairly well along their 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 growth tra- uh, trajectory and also they're also looking at profit, right? Rather than loss making and they're not in the hyper growth stage. Like, so a lot of these, uh, companies in Boha generally have decent, you know, decent revenues and de- decent profits. So, you know, I mean, if you're an ad network making 10, 20 million pound profit, you should be sold to a private equity company. Got you. How about SPAC? What are your thoughts on that? Kind of a phenomenon we've seen in the past couple of years. How do you think it relates to kind of ad tech and media? Um, I mean... SPACs, I think, are are, are 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 sort of an entity of their time. Um, you know, they they, they they kind of have a lot of bad press around them at the minute. But there's been a few companies that have gone public via the, the, the SPAC route. I think it's sort of like an easier way to go public without all the regulatory hurdles that you generally have to go through to, to go uh, via an IPO. Um, I think Tabula went via SPAC. Uh, Outbrain went via SPAC. Iron Source. There's been quite a few ad tech companies going through um, via, via SPACs. But, um, you know, like it's... It's it's a nice I guess a nice route to get to 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 uh, a listed status fairly quickly. Um, how long will this this sort of boom uh, this boom last? I'm not entirely sure because um, there's stricter regulatory uh, overviews now of these these uh, these these SPAC entities, particularly around you know like so the, the people who spin up these SPACs get generally get 20% of the companies for putting very little money in so yeah, I think the oversight will slow that down um, but we might see a few more ad tech companies going public via via SPACs yeah yeah it makes sense and how about IPOs because we've seen a couple who you think listed quite early interested to know like what your thoughts are on listing at you know a reasonably early stage in a company's life uh i mean if 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 the company i mean i think all good companies should go public um i mean that that's that's a given i think what's happened is there's been so much money flowing around the private markets that companies have stayed private longer and uh, now you're seeing these mega IPOs like Robinhood and probably Stripe as well. In our space, um, the IPO route is the natural route because given the fact that a lot of them raise money, a lot of money. Um, I, and you feel this, there's a, basically an ad tech company going public every single day. Um, but is is that sustainable? Will some of them fail? Probably. I mean, a lot. There's, there's there's always sort of like blood in the carpet with some some public companies after a while. They're just not not sustainable businesses, or they're just basically bought out by somebody else. Um, it's interesting that the Bullard brain, basically the similar companies, um, have gone public at the same time. It's just interesting to see that, like to content recommendation uh, solutions and what what happens if there will be a if there will be a downturn what happens to those companies in that instance will, will they just fit survive or or, the, or do they diversify like so to build about connectivity is it connects connectivity the the massive um, 
e-commerce players. And I think they bought skim links. So they're like an e-commerce solution. So it just shows you they're, they're trying to diversify them themselves. And maybe that's what's going to happen. Like I think we, we, we're start, we're going to launch a, uh, a basically live tickers on exchange wars, new update in the next couple of weeks. And we've got 45 public ad tech and martech companies like right in their space. It's quite a lot. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, more than I expected. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's been loads of IPOs in this side of the, the pond as well, and more coming. So, I think like there, there's logic, there's logic to it if you are looking to grow the business, and you're looking to you know basically have longevity in in, in the industry, um, or you've got a really good uh, you're attacking a category where where there's there's good growth in it, like. Can the public market sustain like four DSPs? I don't know. That's a question for the public markets. Like, do the public markets understand enough about DSPs? I don't think so. Yeah, I so, always, I always wonder like what, what, what do these like investors actually think around like what's going on and how much they really know? But I guess they look at the numbers and they look at it very differently to like how people in the industry might. Yeah, I think they, 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 their perception is. Their perception around the story, around the numbers, uh, what the CEO is saying, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Look at Critio. Critio have been banging the drama around the commerce media space uh, for mm. the last two years. And their stock has kind of gone sideways and a bit downwards. And now the market's going, oh, this commerce media thing's real. Uh, uh, Critio could be a, a market leader here. They've, got, they've left the retargeting business behind. Uh, I, I guess that's the difference between um, private and public markets, you know, you tend to get uh, a narrative that works well with Wall Street and then they're all a bunch of sheep. So they all kind of follow each other by the stock or they give it a, you know, buy rating or whatever. It's a very funny world. But I, I do worry, well, I don't worry. I just, I, I'd, be, I'd be concerned that we're going to, there's a glut of companies in the public markets really shouldn't be there in the first place. Like, and when a downturn does come, like a twenty or thirty percent shift in the in the um, in the market, what happens to the to the sort of the weak, the weaker mm. companies, the weaker category companies, so to say? Yeah, yeah. Um, this has been great. I think just to kind of wrap up, I want to run a uh, a kind of quick fire round. So I've got a few companies I want to get your opinion on in less than 10 seconds, if you can try. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a challenge, but we'll see how it goes. Um, the first company to get your thoughts on, S4. Uh, Marty is a genius. What can I say? He's an absolute genius. Like just, uh, you know, the template he's built is being copied by more, more sort of companies in the UK and Europe to kind of like do, you know, just to copy what he's done, uh, to go from like what a hundred million, well not even that, ten million in, in market cap to like three point four billion in the space of like three years. Man's a genius. What can you say? Um, how about WPP? Uh, I think that WPP are, are going to be fine. I think uh, they've steadied the ship. Um, you know they they they. I mean, the, the company is very much like most of the industry is dependent on the sort of the economy doing well, but they've managed to sort of stop the bleeding. I think Mark's a, a very good CEO, solid pair of hands. 
Um, and you know they they are still the best of the of the holding grips, I reckon. How about Media Math? Oh, love Joe. Joe's an investor in our fund. I think Media Math could do. I think Media Math could go public. I think they would probably be advised to go public with something else. I know they. I think like I thought they would. You know they could go public with uh, something like Live Intent, but. Uh, Live Intent could be like struggling now because of all the the hashed email uh, related stuff that 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 Apple has sort of like implemented in their security platform or the security aspects of the platform. So I mean, uh, they 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 can go public. I mean, like if ad verification companies like IAS and Double Verify can go public, MediaMat's revenue is pretty solid. I think that the differentiate themselves from the likes of um, from the Trade Desk. I think I'd love to see them go get something else there like a, a like a clean room tech piece or or something that will give them an edge over the next sort of decade i, I, w- I don't want a cookie based solution but something like you know one of the things i think that an ssp or a dsp need to buy or build is a clean room because it gives them stickiness and that ability to con- continue to do sort of the the id matching piece without relying on a third party like Snowflake or, or Infosum. I think that, that could be quite interesting. Maybe a medium at Infosum uh, merger going public. That'd be quite interesting. That would be definitely interesting. How, um, how about Media Ocean? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm slightly confused as to what they are. Um, le- legacy backend system sort of workflow built on fairly legacy uh, technology just bought a, an ad server i mean it, it's like switzerland deciding now i'm going to have the nuclear bomb really uh <laughs> i i always thought them as a kind of like a neutral layer mm. and now they've got into the execution piece um so no yeah. it's it's an interesting one. i i think that that space between workflow uh, management and our and sort of execution is starting to kind of blur a little bit mm. so you know you look at hudson mx who, who's been run by jt bats and who are kind of working on the, the localized TV piece. I think a lot of that is going to start coalescing and a lot of, I think the, the, the sort of like the likes of Trade Desk and uh, Hudson and Media Ocean will start competing at some stage uh, on that sort of uh, sort of buy side layer for booking and execution. Because I think it's not all going to be like, everything's going to be done through an RTP protocol. I think there'll be a lot of booking systems around at a home and TV and radio that would be centralized. And I think they're all going to start competing. Maybe, maybe that's what Media Ocean is heading towards. There might be more acquisitions there, potentially. Fair. And then finally, how about Google? Oh, I've, I've kind of changed my tune about Google. I, I mean, don't, I don't, I don't really, I think that, I think they'd like to get out of ad tech completely. You know what the smartest thing for Google to do now? They should just literally become the cloud infrastructure for everybody else and let everybody build it. And all that low margin business like ad servers and all the rest of it, they should literally allow that to exist, uh, let ad tech to build on top of them. So then they can, because like Google want their cloud infrastructure to grow because that's where all the margin is, right? Google's about like multi-billion dollar businesses, right? So, like, imagine it could be that cloud infrastructure and the that neutral layer and not compete with everybody. If they can get out of, like, all the ad tech and all that display stuff, they could leave that behind them. Like, the margins are crap. 
for them, right? The 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 the, the, the sort of privacy uh, oversight is annoying. The the well, it's not annoying. It's also you know financially uh, dangerous to them. Uh, and then all all the anti-competitive stuff. Imagine tomorrow morning they decide to close down the. Uh, we're, we're we're not we're getting out of the ad server business. Like that could create a multi-billion-dollar business there for everybody else because they give it away for free. I mean, Google could just do could just do a lot more, and Cloud for me could just get out of this messy ad tech and display business and leave the rest of us to kind of like build around. So I'm not really sure, you know. That, I mean, we, we could spend an hour talking about Google, but but um, <laughs> they're, they're in a tricky spot right now. I mean, they're trying to basically balance their ads team against privacy, and and, and it's not really working. Like as as per the mess around flock. Mm. I think my sense is that if they don't do something radical, they're going to have to divest certain assets very quickly. Like the regulatory or oversight them is in, is intensifying all the time. Biden keeps putting like, you know, uh, sort of people who, 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 who spent their career building narrative around breaking up these, these uh, wall gardens into positions of power that will ultimately have a say over what Google can and can't do in the space. So do yourself a favor, Google, get out of ad tech, leave it to us, and we'll love you for it. <laughs> That's a great message to end on. Um, cheers, Kieran. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been super insightful. And uh, yeah, thank you for being a guest on the app pod. Well, it was an absolute pleasure. Great chatting to you. I hope you're doing well over there in New Jersey. <laughs> cheers, mate. Chat to you soon. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed episode eight of the app pod on a personal note. Kieran has done tons for myself and my company by allowing us to speak at events and contribute in exchange wire over the years. So it was really great to get him on and chat about things that we would usually chat about over a beer or three. Anyway, I hope you're all keeping well and I look forward to seeing you again soon.